0: um this morning uh we've got a guest speaker he's not really a guest anymore this is like home now to him um he has preached here before eric wood uh he's uh the director of um of neighborhood link and he's going to be sharing the word with us today brother eric come forward and pray and uh, lead us in the word and i'll pray for you and we will start lord i thank you for eric Lord, I pray that the words of his mouth and the meditations of this of his heart will be acceptable to you. I pray, Lord, that you speak through him, that your word will come in power and authority with signs and wonders following it. We thank you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I'm long-winded, God bless you. I've got a mic. We'll be in John 13. It's the beginning of the upper room conversation. If there's any place in all of the scriptures, I can encourage you to spend a little bit more time. It would be in these five chapters, 13 through 17. The final words of Jesus are some of the most profound, intimate, and powerful words ever spoken in all of history. And so... Uh, I, I take it uh, great joy to be in these words this morning. I found it a privilege to open up the scriptures and have anything good to say. But I will tell you for the last three or four years, these are the very words that have transformed my heart in most profound ways. You see, John thirteen one starts out and says this, It was time, Passover was here. Knowing such a time, he loved those who were from the world and he loved them to the very end. I don't know if you've ever been reading the scriptures and you just went right past something like that. But for about 39 years, I walked right past that. And then one day I stopped and sat in that. He loved his disciples. He loves you and me. Not only to the end of his life, but to the end of our lives, all the way home. Some of the next things that begin to happen is Jesus, knowing that he'd come from the father, the father given him all things and that he was going to the father, took off his outer garment. And instead of waiting for a slave or another disciple to wash the feet that were normally washed, Jesus Graciously and gladly took off his outer garment, bent low and began to wash the junk off of his friends, his followers, his closest brother's feet. That's the beginning of the last words of Jesus with his friends. Then he says, I need you to do this too. This is what it looks like to be one of my followers. And then he says, one of y'all are gonna dip on me and turn me in. Everybody's confused. Everybody's freaking out. And they told Judas to go do what he was going to do. The rest of the disciples were still naive to what was really going on. Is he going to go take care of the money, buy some food or give it away to the poor? No one knew that he was about to trade, trade in his soul for the life of Jesus. It says here in John 13, 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. It's time to display God's splendor. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and glorify him at once. Verse 33, my little children, yet a little while I am with you, You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, very interesting in those first three lines, one of the first parts of 31 says, now when he had gone out. When Judas had left, it was now time to say, it's time, and I need to give you a new command. One of the things I wrote here in my Bible and I wrote in my notes is, Not everything is for everyone. While Judas was uh, offered a foot washing, what a beautiful gift. Before he turned him in, uh, Jesus loved his enemy by washing his feet. What a savior. Before he turned him in, he gave him communion. Hey, this is my blood. This is my body given for you. Before Judas went to give away the body and the blood of Jesus. But then he couldn't give this to Judas because Judas' heart wasn't made new. So please understand, Jesus wasn't saying, go do this new command without a new heart. Jesus will never tell you to do work before he's done work inside. He will never tell you to be a new person until you've been made new. John thir- or Ezekiel 36 is home base for this, this understanding for me around 26 and 27 I'd encourage you to study it. In fact, go through 36 and 37 and have just a grand old time. But in 36, when, when the world had, uh, the nations had heard and recognized that uh, these followers of God were a mess, and God then speaks and says, hey, you guys have messed my name up to the nations. You've, you've really displayed a poor view of who, who I am. We may be there again. Would we agree? Generally speaking, not everyone, not everywhere, but in a lot of ways, we have not put on a great display of the grandeur of Jesus. He says, I'm gonna fix this, God speaking to Ezekiel, to the people, to fix this and how I'm gonna fix it is I'm gonna cleanse you from all of your idols and your filth. That's his answer to our bustedness, to our lack of display. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna take out your old heart. I'm gonna put my spirit inside of you. Check this out. I'm gonna cause you to obey my statutes. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And we'll rebuild the city. Have you ever had a great dream? I've had one since I was 14. It was about Fort Wayne, Indiana. I saw thousands of people on Jefferson together as one because of the beauty of Jesus. Sometimes I think we have dreams and we have ideas of maybe how they'll come about. I think God's dream for cities, for neighborhoods, for homes is new hearts. We can come up with programs and ideas and big systems and changes that we believe will bring about the dream of the kingdom. Mark 1 14 and 15. But even there, repent and believe is the answer of the kingdom. Not better preachers, not better sounds, not better visions, new hearts. And so this message is for those with new hearts. And if you don't have a new heart, may God give you a new heart in Jesus' name. So, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. Did anybody realize that there's a new commandment? Is that another place that maybe we have bypassed a few times? We just lumped it in with the, the great commandment, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. And we just read that into the text. The, the command is as old as Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, to loving the Lord and loving our neighbor is a very old mosaic Covenant and command. But Jesus likes to refresh it up, you know, a little bit, make it fresh, make it pop. Between God and neighbor is one another. It's what actually gives us the nourishment to love God and our neighbor. It's actually what brings great aroma to God and to our neighbor And quite frankly, for a very long time, I believe that we've taken out the one anothering and replaced it with everything else but one anothering. And so Jesus says, I have a new commandment that I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You You're also to love one another. This promise is otherworldly, my friends. By this, by this command, All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to unpack this a little bit before. Let's pray one more time. and just ask his sweet spirit to speak. Holy Spirit, you're the convictor of truth. You're the reminder of the words of Jesus. You're the comforter in our afflictions and the counselor in our doubts you're the giver of good gifts for the edification of all saints and so we bring nothing you bring everything as john would cry out earlier in this in this letter would i decrease and you increase would you organize words would you implant them in hearts Would you transform our minds and would you be the glory today? It's your name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So right here at 34, after Judas has left the room, he says, a new commandment. New, I've already broken down. Command, very interesting, right? I have this idea that we like to do the things that we like to do that might be good, but not what we've been actually commanded. remember ever ever thought about that? We like to do all these things that we call Christian, but they're not the actual ones that he asked us to do. That's sad. What a savior, you're so wonderful, but I'm gonna do how I wanna do it. I'm gonna be about what I wanna be about. I'm going to do my brand of Christianity. That is, that's eric I don't even know if you can make that up. Like eric You know, doesn't sound great. Not a real flow off the tongue. Don't put it in the dictionary. This command is old and new. There's a new aim and a new application, and it's from our Savior's very lips for his very people. The next word he says, I give to you. This word is used loads of times, 365 times actually in the word of in the way of give. Um, but here's what I would say: Whatever the Lord gives is a gift. He's giving a gift through a command. A gift through a command. Just as Sabbath wasn't made, uh, man wasn't made for Sabbath. Sabbath has been made for man. Loving one another was a gift for the church. Now, interesting with Sabbath, for me, I was able to find a way to play with the scriptures to say, Jesus is my rest, absolutely true. And then not take any rest. So then I ended up not running well. Hashtag run hard, rest well. Additionally, I didn't realize what a gift one anothering was to me and to us. So take this, this command as a gift, a gift for you, a gift for each other. But then he says one another. And so what does that actually mean? Well, let's, let's frame this in a few ways real quick. One, the, the great command is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength in an undivided way. He doesn't want our heart, our soul, our mind, or our strength to be divided, to be bifurcated, to be two different people, to be who you are, where you are, holistically. That's the dream of God for you and me. Uh, As uh, Pete Schizero and Rich Volotis would say, what's behind the, the, the top of the surface of the water, below the bottom of the iceberg? I want all of that to be all of Jesus's, not just the very tip that everybody sees. Right? A lot of times in church, I don't believe that necessarily here, but we give people the tip of our life, but not the substance of our life. And there's a disconnect there. We give them one piece, but not the whole part. So loving God in an undivided way, because he first loved us. Neighboring, which is the second part of the great command, I like to talk about neighboring. I like wearing neighboring. My son likes to wear the same shirt today. I love embarrassing him. But neighboring, it's loving as loving someone as if it was me. loving someone as if it was me without expectation. Loving my neighbor is loving them like it was me without expectation. The way I can frame that is somebody will say, man, I'm totally about serving my neighbor. Then they go somewhere and the people are sitting on the couch. And they're like, I ain't about serving lazy people. I was like, where did Jesus meet you? Were you working hard? Or did he come and find you when you were a wreck on the side of the road? When you were lazy, when you didn't have all the answers, when your heart was cracked and your back was broke, That's when Jesus met you. So loving someone as if it was me without expectation. It's been one of my favorite parts of life. But one another is in light of the love of God. I'm now in a relationship with brothers and sisters where I give and receive. The expectation of one another is that I give to you and you, you receive it and then you give to me and I receive it. Very few relationships in life are like that. Would we agree? We love receiving from God and giving back to God. We love to take this love and give it away, sometimes without expectation. But rarely are we in relationships where we're giving and receiving in a way There is this divine dance, this reciprocal dance, both valves on, not where I have the giving valve on and you have the receiving valve on, but we have both valves on and accessible to each other. I get to enjoy that with Kevin. I get to enjoy that with my wife. I get to enjoy that with my kids. I get to enjoy that with a handful of friends. And I'm learning to practice this both valve on, in and out, in and out. But I love the way that Jesus frames this. He frames loving one another with the idea of how I've loved you. As I've loved you, love one another. Let's just take a second before I talk about how Jesus has loved us or how he loved his disciples. Have you ever just stopped and thought about how he's loved you? I don't you just stop? I want you to. Close your eyes. I want you to think for a minute. Lord, remind me of how you've loved me. Just sit in that for a second. Think about that. Lord, bring verses and bring truths and bring reminders to our hearts right now. Can you guys give me some of the things you thought of? Some of the ways that Jesus loves you. What's a scripture? Friendship. Say that again. Family. Provision. Protection neighbors salvation, salvation. Love. love church, that again? church family, church family. Caring. and caring little gifts, of kindness from others. little gifts of kindness from others peace promises to never leave us or forsake us hope, hope. His, presence. his presence real quick okay now I hear all of that. Now I want to hear how he's loved you more specifically, precisely. How has he loved you? Meeting me in trials. trials. Say it again. Empathy for for your human experience. Providing answers for your problems. problems. Answering my prayers. giving us the desires of our heart. Mm-hmm. Say that again. Strengthen us. Yeah, strengthen us. So I want you to maybe take some time this week and just write down specific ways and specific scriptures that Jesus has provided to remind you of how much he loves you and how he's showing you his love. Stay away from generalizing And be more specific, okay? I'm gonna try to do that with some of the ways that he did that for the disciples because he's saying this to the disciples. As I've loved you guys, I want you to go love one another. There should be stories of his love in my life. And as those stories saturate my heart, they're fuel to give away and to receive with you guys. Because I think one another is supposed to happen in a few places, one one-on-one and small groups in the local church, the body of believers assembling on a Sunday or throughout the week, and then in the global church. I think we're supposed to make a beautiful mosaic as you look at all of this stained glass that testifies to the beauty that's one another in small relationships, in local bodies, and in the global church. It's supposed to put on a display for the world. But the, the love of Jesus fuels the love for one another. So maybe spend some time this week doing that. He continues on here in verse 34. After saying, I give to you this new command, he says that you love one another just as I have loved you. You You're also to love one another. Paul would say later on in the scriptures that, you know, people are kind of getting bored with his sermons. You guys ever got bored with sermons? Somebody just says the same thing over and over again. It's all right, you can say yes. You can say you're bored right now. It's fine, I'm game for it. But here's the reality. A lot of times, a lot of times, the simple things need to be repeated. He would say, you guys want some meat, but I need to keep giving you milk. It's good for you for me to repeat myself. My friends, the the simple, basic commands of Jesus are what we're lacking. Why do we wanna move on to meat? I find more people in coffee shops and in homes arguing about secondary and tertiary theologies than living the life of Jesus. That is crazy. We're sitting there talking about end times and who's right. And I'm like, he's coming again. <laughs> the same way he left, he's coming back, Acts one eleven. That's all I got for you. We're talking about if you're always saved, you can't get saved man, stay close to Jesus and you abide you in him, you bear fruit for his glory. Like we're playing, but then we don't got no time for one another because we're beating each other. And the world looks on, listen, please, before I get into this, the world looks on and goes, jokers, gamers. We spend a lot of time telling the world how to behave and not responding to Jesus when he's called us to. We're judging them, but I think judgment starts in the house of God. We're telling them how to live. We haven't learned to crawl. We're preaching sermons to the politicians and the government officials and the leaders of other entities. Meanwhile, we're playing games. I have an idea. Why don't we just be faithful to the simple commands of Jesus and see what happens? So, if you're a note taker, I would like to give you a handful of ways that Jesus practically loved the disciples. And then maybe talk about how he's been gracious to me. And in John 1 47, as he's calling disciples, it's interesting how Jesus looked for and encouraged the strengths of his new disciples. Nathaniel was found with this integrity of heart and that's how he called him. Look at this man full of integrity. One another and sometimes looks like looking for ways to encourage brothers and sisters or to receive encouragement from one another. Jesus didn't walk up like hey homies you're the worst. Look at all your flaws and your failures and your holes and your cracks. He looked up on him and he said, Man, there's a there's a guy full of character. Interesting, he wasn't born again yet. To Jesus is patient with their sin. That seems like another part of one anothering. Being patient with with each other's sin. Man, I can't tell you how ridiculous it is that we want people on a fast track to maturity. Ray Orland says, the Gospel plus safety equals uh, with time. God, the gospel, excuse me, the gospel produces a place that's safe and gives you time to grow at your own pace. Where there's a good gospel, a Jesus gospel, there is safety to be a mess and not be okay, and there's time to grow. It's not twelve weeks to become a disciple of Jesus. It's a life. So being patient with each other's sin as we wrestle and as we struggle, I can't tell you as a a pastor, uh, being a pastor as a young man, I just longed for patience, that I wasn't perfect, that I hadn't arrived, that I didn't have all the answers, even when I thought I did. I just needed people to be patient with me, not to beat me, not to to try to like force me to grow into a 50-year-old man at 29, but just to give me space to grow in the likeness and the love of Jesus. We all need that time. Jesus gave his disciples that time. That's how he loved them. He exemplified servanthood and friendship. Have you ever been waiting for a friend to do what you, you know you should have done first? Like, I ain't gonna do it until they do it for me. Loving one another like, looks like serving first. Going low first. Jesus is the last one that should have been on the ground with the filth of their feet. One another looks like serving from the bottom up and going first as the last. When Jesus is teaching truth and exp- he, he takes time to explain it when they don't understand. We all, if we've been parents, know of the moments where we've been impatient in our children's lack of understanding. We actually took time to explain the text and what he was teaching and the parables that they didn't get. I can give you all the references for these later. If you, if you want them, I'll send this to you. Probably one of the bigger ones. Jesus stays close to them while spurring them on in their faith. Peter is stumbling, trying to walk on water. And a lot of time where they're in the bottom of the boat and the storms are going crazy. Jesus is like, I'm right here, guys. I'm with you in this. Sometimes like in the midst of trial and tribulation, the valleys, we don't need answers, right? We're not necessarily looking for answers, just looking for someone to be with us. Uh, Christians in the West are notorious for having answers for moments we shouldn't have them in. It's like you're suffering and they're like, I can tell you what to do. Two plus two equals dumb. It's like, no, just, just shoulder up with me, mourn with me, weep with me, hold me. You don't have to have answers. Sometimes the answer is presence. And then there'll be a moment to speak words of wisdom, but there's a reason why James 1 says, listen first. Listen first, be slow to anger, slow to speak. Listen first so you can love best. It's my new life mantra that I have not learned. Should get it tattooed on both wrists, both hands and the back of my eyeballs. And then maybe on the inside of my lips. Jesus uh, needed them to be faithful in the garden, but when faithless, he challenges them, but doesn't lash out at them. Like he needed them to stay up with him. Hey, God, just stay up with me. Stay up with me. It wasn't there that he's like, you didn't stay up. I'm done. Get out, of my, get out of here. No, they end up running and he still draws them near. We should have the most robust one another and that doesn't give up when we fail each other. Some of us are just reeling in here because people dropped on you or dipped on you the first time you failed them. Some of you are ready to run because you're afraid of somebody's failure. But one another in looks like staying close, staying present, staying current, and not dipping on people when they fail. When everybody shows up to arrest Jesus, the easy way out for Jesus is to pull out swords and call legions of angels, right? But he didn't take the easy way out. I can tell you, it feels like in relationship, a lot of people take the easy way out, which is actually the way of immaturity. Maturity looks like waiting through the difficult moments with each other and growing through that. I'll never forget, I was a young pastor it's, I'm doing a whole thing with Peace Caseros church, Emotionally Healthy uh, Discipleship, and guilt and loss is one side of my page. I'm five pages in to guilt and loss. You know that 99% of that is from pastoring? I'm being honest with you. 99% of what I've written down is from being in the role of pastor. One of those, one of those, is I took over the church in the midst of a hard season with a friend. The church went from hundreds down to 70 in six months. And I was left holding it all like, but now that's not true. There's someone that held it It's his church. It's not mine, but that's what I felt like. And I remember doing work in my house with this one person and they're sitting, they're standing in my, my living room and they say, can't wait to see you next, next Sunday. I'm all in. And that was the last time I saw them. One another doesn't look like the easy way out. Now here's some of the more even profound are the last two. And I'll give you these two references. John 21, 15 through 19 and John 20, uh, 27. Peter uh, was notorious for being uh, a failure. I identify with Peter. I feel like sometimes I just can't get things right. My mouth speaks before my heart moves. or my, my mouth speaks before my mind has a chance to shut it down. He promised to be faithful. Promised to stand strong, fought for Jesus. Told Jesus he had nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go than you. Was told that he was gonna dip and leave abandoned Jesus in his very most critical moments and then did, and then he did. So he goes back to fishing. Like I'm no good at this disciple thing. I'm no good at following Jesus thing. He's out there fishing, not catching anything again. He must've been a bad fisherman too. His dad's like, I'm sorry, I can't handle the business off to you. Just go follow Jesus. And there's Jesus cooking a meal on the shoreline. And soon as Peter sees him, throws off his clothes and starts swimming to have a breakfast with his friend and his savior. One of the coolest parts of one another is restoring each other. There was no sermon waiting for Peter on the shoreline. There was a meal. There was a meal waiting for this man to be restored by his savior. Sometimes we're spending so much time correcting and fixing that we're just not being human. I was out uh, at a lawn mowing with um, some new folks that never done this stuff before the other day. And as we're out there mowing, one of my friends comes out. This family has had a a wife shot and killed. A mom died two months later, another cousin died. And then one of the more recent shootings was another family death. So four in one year. And these three folks had never been on the Southeast side of Fort Wayne or in maybe spaces that were like this. And so one of the guys comes out and he's, he's sharing his story and he's talking and we're just going back and forth. And it's just beautiful. Front yard conversation. Some of the best conversations in my life have been a front yard on a front porch. Just being human. I said, what do you think about this? My friend, and she goes, I'm not really good at shallow talk. I know like nonprofit stuff is like shallow. I'm like, Preach. And, uh, you know, she's like, I'm not really good at shallow relationships or shallow conversation. She doesn't know Jesus. She goes, I just want to be human. Sometimes we need to get all this stuff out of the way to just be human with each other. God became fully man as he was perfectly God. Lastly, you got Thomas. Thomas was that guy that's always on the sidelines. being, like, I don't know, man glass half full kind of guy or half empty, excuse me. You ever have those people? Nothing will ever work. Some of that's, you know, pessimism, cynicism. Some of that is a gift set. It's looking at something from a different angle. But here he didn't believe Jesus was raised from the grave in John chapter 20, verse 27. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have came and been like, yo, bro real deals here man I ought to come in in just like spectacular fashion like a windstorm jumped in be like what now He kind of did that he walked through a wall but gently then goes, hey man, check these wounds out go ahead I know you've been telling everybody that I'm not I'm not alive but I am and I'm here And in the midst of his doubt he met he met Thomas in the midst of that buried doubt. I have to tell you if you're doubting here today much like Thomas you're in good company what I would encourage you to do is to take them to Jesus and let him remind you of who he is and he'll lead your heart to worship again. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. It's one of the most important pieces and parts of all of scripture that ties everything back together. But what Jesus says here in verse 35 is probably in my estimation, I would define as the best evangelism for the world. I really believe that. The best evangelism for the world is one anothering. Read 35 with me one more time. I don't know exactly what translation you have. I have ESV, but he says, By this, by this love that you've received from me, that you give and receive with one another, all people will know that you're my followers, that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Have you ever just sat on that and thought about that? What a promise, my friends. What a promise today that our Savior would say, if you would love one another, the whole world will know you're my people. I wonder if some of of what we're known for, it gets in the way of them knowing Jesus. I think that's probably an accurate statement, right? Well, real quick, I've been following Jesus since I was a little kid. I just wanna give you a few snapshots of my life. When I was three, this is me being like full life. I'll give you three snapshots. When I was three, um, I can remember laying in bed at night with dark shapes running all through my room. And being scared out of my mind. And at three, I learned uh, the only name that would satisfy was Jesus. And so I would lay there in bed at night and say his name until I woke up the next day. And still to this day, when I'm afraid, there's only only one name. When I was 14, I was on a mission trip, much like these youth went, down to Darien, Georgia. And I just loved serving people. My dad loved serving people. It's like in the line. But man, I really loved being with people. And we get down there and this woman, uh, she was 83 years old. Her husband had passed two weeks before we got there and... Uh, we were supposed to build him a ramp. And so I was pretty confused. Like, what's this gonna be like? She's gonna be grieving. I don't know what to do with that. And she answered the door with a smile and stories of Jesus. And for a week, she just told us over and over again how good he is and stories of the beauty of her marriage. And I remember leaving that place saying, Lord, whatever you want from me for the rest of my life is yours. I would like to just share in the joy that I saw my friend have while she made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for us for a week. Drove home in a van, probably not as safe as the van you guys just took on that trip. (laughs) And I said, whatever. And I remember being called to be a pastor as a little 14-year-old kid. Now, since 14 to 43, there has been miracles and stories and a wife of 21 years and kids that are now on their way to getting married. Uh, you know, one of them getting married next Friday. And I'm going to walk her down and do the ceremony. So there's going to be tears for days. You know, Elijah, our one son will be there. Our other son, Lou, will be up there. My wife will be bawling. If I, I can't look at her if she cries because then I cry. But I will tell you this, there's been ups and downs. Um, And I've been asking the Lord after about 22 years of ministry that he would just turn the lights back on. Been tired, my friends. Been so exhausted from drama, from leading, from having high expectations. And that's some of what I've carried people and places and things that have been on my shoulders for years. And so I went to New York last weekend to just get away with some folks. And I have to just tell you, like in the still, small, quiet, faithful, good voice of Jesus, he met me there. It reminded me of my first love and he reminded me of what I'm made for and he reminded me of what he's put in me. But most of all, he just put some people around me to love me. I didn't have to be anything other than his son. That last part, what happened last weekend was a mixture of his spirit and one another that brought me home ready for the next season. I really do believe with all of my heart that if we were to one another to obey Jesus and ask for him to turn the lights on and give us the love for one another that he has first given us, I believe the testimony would resound around the world but it would start in our homes, it would move through our neighborhoods, it would hit our city and then hit the world. I think many of us dream too far away and not not near enough to our hearts, which is our home. And so Lord, would you come in a fresh way? Would you stir our affections for your goodness? Would you remind us of the ways that you've met us? Would you soften our hearts? Would you teach us to love and receive love? My friends, while they sing, um, here's my prayer. Is if you have a burden to encourage somebody in the room while they sing, would you just get up and go pray that encouragement over somebody else in the room? If somebody comes to you, would you receive it? I'm not asking you to go correct anybody. I'm asking you, if you feel like you have a word of encouragement for someone, would you get up and give it away? And if they come to you, would you just ask the Lord for it to be received? Sometimes, I'm sure many of us haven't just gotten encouragement in a while. Somebody to remind us of what Jesus is up to, that he sees us. So as they sing, would you do that and then? I believe my brother will come up and close.